Welcome to the Global Franchise Podcast, bringing you intimate conversations with the figures behind franchising's biggest brands. I'm Kieran McLoon, editor for Global Franchise Magazine. 50% of our growth last year came from uh, existing franchisees, and that's our, that's our true north, right? My, my goal for this organization is over the next three years to identify the next 100 great operators. We want to recruit the next 100 great operators to the system, but at the same time, our goal is to maintain that 50% ratio. We know if we go out and target the, the, the right next set of operators to join our system and we continue to grow with our existing franchisees, that that's just going to further the really strong foundation of the brand. Spa franchises are an increasingly prominent segment of the international market as customers demand more when it comes to their sense of cleanliness and well-being. Despite this industry seemingly being one of the first you'd need to shut down during a pandemic where close contact is mandated, brands like Hand and Stone managed to continue growing during the past two years and show no sign of stopping. To learn more about the resilience and demand for this intimate industry, we caught up with John Tezza, CEO of Hand and Stone. John occupied the role of CEO last August after serving as the brand's President and Chief Development Officer, and he's also served on the Board of Trustees at the International Franchise Association for over seven years. Suffice to say that John knows a thing or two when it comes to successful franchising, so we wanted to learn more about the growth of Hand and Stone, the current position of the spa segment in the market, and what evolutions could soon be propelling his brand toward even greater international acclaim. Demand for both our primary modalities was growing pre-pandemic. I mean, the, the demand on the massage services side uh, has been in place for a long period of time. And I think we've, we've seen uh, the demand for skincare grow as it's been adopted as a service uh, uh, that is incorporated into self-care routines. Obviously, at the peak of COVID, there was a there was a significant decline in demand. And in fact, our, our spas were closed for uh, a minimum of 60 days. Uh, really from the middle of March until really until uh, June 1st. And in some jurisdictions where there were more stringent COVID restrictions, we were actually limited for a much longer period of time than that. Uh, Like, for example, in the state of uh, Pennsylvania, uh, we went uh, until the middle of October before we could start delivering skincare services again. Skincare is 35% of our business. And so um, it was a it was a really meaningful period of time in which um, you know consumer demand uh, pulled back and you know of course we were limited in, in what we could deliver. That said, uh, demand for both services has bounced back and and really by by the end of t- 2020 we we started to normalize um, around service levels and demand levels and by the by really the end of Q1 of 2021 we were back at pre-COVID levels and. Kind of, you know, the balance of the year just built stronger and stronger. What's really interesting to look at is what's ha- what's happening on a go forward basis. Um, the you know massage in, massage industry is expected to grow at about a seven percent CAGR over the next five years, uh, and skincare is expected to grow at about a twelve percent CAGR over the next five years. And in both cases, what we're seeing is that our our clients are using these service modalities as a way to, to manage not only their physical well-being, but their mental well-being. Um, and I think that, you know, that's a trend that we saw pre-pandemic, but it, we definitely saw it, uh, we saw that accelerate during the COVID period. 
Right, no, it sounds like you're certainly back on track and, as you say, very exciting growth on the horizon. Um, I just wanted to shift gears slightly, John, and talk about kind of you as the CEO of the company. I know that you've you've been on the board of trustees at the IFA now for over seven years, um, and I was wondering how you've used lessons learned in that role to support your own franchise network as CEO of Hand and Stone. Great question, Kieran. And, you know, the IFA is such an incredibly meaningful organization. I've been fortunate not only to be a, a, a trustee, but just to be involved in, in the organization for a long period of time. I'd say first and foremost, um, it, the connections that I've made and the networking that I've made there and my ability to interact with other um, C-level leaders that, you know, quite frankly, are, you know, they've reached a, a level of success that I'm, I'm hoping to attain with our brand. Um, and so, you know, being able to pull those lessons to, to understand, you know, the ways that they pivoted, you know, o- over the course of their careers with their brands um, has been incredibly meaningful. I will say the p- the COVID period was particularly critical because there was a really strong network, both informal and formal, um, formal as, you know, sort of run by the IFA of idea sharing uh, around how people were reacting most effectively to COVID. Um, and not just reacting, but planning for, um, you know, moving out of the COVID period. And so, you know, whether it was my involvement in the the, uh, the Board of Trustees for the foundation, my general involvement with the IFA, or more specifically with these sort of tilted up specific networks, we've been able to apply a ton of learning to this brand. Right. That's really great to hear. And it certainly sounds like, you know, that networking opportunity has been has been key, as you say, particularly during this really challenging period in which those connections have been um, make or break for some brands. Um so when we're looking at uh, the, opera, the the industry that Hand and Stone operates in, you know, like with all franchise industries, the spa and well-being sector is seeing increasing competition um, from experienced brands, not just kind of up and comers and emerging brands. Um, how is how is Hand and Stone working to differentiate itself as it continues its international franchise growth? We are by nature uh, incredibly differentiated. As I as I mentioned earlier, we have two primary modalities. So we're, we're really coming at multi-service health and wellness from two different specific viewpoints. And uh, not only are, do we have a second primary modality in skincare, but even within that, we, within the skincare modality, we're incredibly diversified. So we, and, and really in, in, in both sides of our service profile, we look at uh, providing a customer journey. right? So we're a membership-based model. We have a very compelling membership proposition. And um, it's a $59 or a $69 a month membership that our members can use for either modality. Um, and that's kind of the basic service. But um, a significant portion of our massage upgrade, our massage services are further enhanced, whether, whether it's a hot stone massage, uh, whether it's a uh, vibration therapy like Theragun Incorporated or CBD, which is really our, our biggest and most profound uh, product launch to date. Uh, we see a significant number of our uh, massage services upgraded, and it really presents a journey for our, uh, our our massage consumer. On the other side of the business, it's even more profound. As well as we do from an upgrade perspective on the massage side, we actually double that on the skincare side, and we really look at our skincare business as a journey. Our, our initial consumers might come in and get our classic facial, which is what uh, they get once per month with their membership. Uh, but then they very quickly start moving through a suite of enhancement opportunities that are in place really to create a specifically bespoke experience. Our estheticians are incredibly efficacy oriented. 
Um, and they, they use this suite of solutions to create the best outcomes for our clients. Uh, we've got this great just continuum of enhancement opportunities uh, that is, again, they're phenomenal from a consumer perspective because they, they're highly efficacious. They're great from a therapist perspective because it lets them create that unique experience. And it also it is great from a financial perspective for them. And then it's also great for our franchise owners. Sure. And what about um, what about the tech side of things, John? I mean, in industries like fitness and QSR, you know, we're seeing technology integrate with brands to create these synergies and alleviate challenges and things like that. Um, is that the same within the, the spa and well-being sector that you guys operate in? Yeah, Karen, it's a big opportunity for us. So multi-site consumer services have not experienced the same degree of technology transformation that other uh, multi-site consumer uh, uh, segments have. If you look at what's happened in the you know, of course, 10 to 15 years ago in the hospitality industry and then over the last five years in the restaurant industry, uh, that really hasn't happened at scale yet in personal services. I mean, the, the example I often use is when's the last time you called a hotel to book a hotel room? Yeah. Right. When's the last time you called a restaurant to make a reservation? And and when's the last time you called, a, uh, you know, called a restaurant for takeout? Mm. Um, you don't. You, you, all of those interactions happen now in the digital domain. And yet the vast majority of uh, certainly within our system, and I believe this to be the case in most other health and wellness personal services brand. But quite frankly, I believe it to be the case in most personal services brands, period. Uh, a vast majority of, of uh, demand is still originated outside of the digital domain. And so big, big opportunity there. Um, the other big opportunity is, you know, unlike other uh, consumer domains, we have incredibly rich attribution data on all of our consumers. Every one of our consumers known. We have the opportunity to do to, to, to actually affect behavior um, in, in a meaningful way, right? To help people find, you know, availability at the times that they want to find or to help people get that incredibly efficacious service again, right? That they had prior, um, and I think there's ways to to leverage technology to um, further enhance that as well. Right. Absolutely. No, it certainly sounds like you've got a, a handle on things when it comes to the digital side of things. Um, and if we could talk a little more, John, about your your franchise network as a whole. I know that last year, uh, more than half of Hand and Stone's franchise deals were signed with existing franchisees within your network. Um what do you think makes people want to deepen their investment with the brand after opening, you know, one or just a handful of locations? You know, I think it comes back to two basic premises. First and foremost is um, the unit economics, right? If the unit economics are working, then franchisees want to continue to invest in that brand. Um, the second part is the relationship between the franchisee and the franchisor. And again, if that's working, then 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 there is a natural impetus for entrepreneurs to want to continue to to invest in the brand. I think there's a third component that's really around the the capabilities of the particular organization. Every franchise is going to be every franchisor is going to be good at some things and have opportunities on the other end of the spectrum. Um, and I think the the more that a franchisor is uh, working to further enable the things that they're good at, right, and to continue to advance the things that they have opportunities in, uh, the more their franchise owners want see that as an opportunity to continue to invest. And so 
we're, you know, we're proud 67% of our existing uh, sold on open pipeline is existing franchisees. 50% of our growth last year came from uh, existing franchisees. And that's our, that's our true North, right? My, my goal for this organization is over the next three years to identify the next hundred great operators. We want to recruit the next hundred great operators to the system. But at the same time, our goal is to maintain that 50% ratio, right? And so we know if we do that, we know if we go out and target the, the, the right next set of operators to join our system and we continue to grow with our existing franchisees, that that's just going to further the really strong foundation of the brand. Yeah, no, that's kind of the, you know, the ultimate endorsement, isn't it, is when people are looking to spend even more money and invest with you guys even deeper. Um, you know you're doing something right in that case. Um, my, my final question for you, John, is just kind of more generally about franchising moving forward. And that is um, what personally excites you about franchising in 2022? And also, are there any particular trends that you think could transform how Hand and Stone operates moving forward this year and beyond? Yeah, what an incredible time to be growing a business, right? Sure. Um, coming out of the pandemic, a tremendous amount of, un, uh, of, of latent demand, uh, a tremendous amount of capital. Right. There's been more liquidity injected into the market in the last, you know, 18 to 24 months than maybe any time in the history of certainly the U.S., but just worldwide. Right. If you think about uh, the amount of investment capital that's available, uh, it's an incredible time to be growing a business. And so super excited about it. You know, the the franchise domain will benefit from that. uh, you know, it, 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 the, the, the franchise domain follows economic cycles in kind of an odd way. Um, and, you know, three and a half percent unemployment doesn't necessarily uh, directly connect to an increase in, in folks that are looking at career transition. Right. Sure. And a period of time in which we've seen expansion of, of wages and you know, just general upward pressure um, from a from a wage perspective doesn't always engender um, significant increase in in franchise interest, but yet we're seeing it, right? We're seeing people, uh, we're seeing an increase of leads kind of across the system, across the industry. What what this does do, right? These periods are great from a from a perspective of growing with existing franchisees, right? Successful operators, uh, whether they're from in our system today or they're you know retiring or diversifying a, another portfolio and they're joining our system. Um, it, these are, this is going to be a great period to grow a franchise brand. What I'm excited about is the introduction of technology into the four wall operations. I think, you know, uh, through my work with the IFA, we started something called franchise 10 X a couple of years ago, which was a closing session, uh, for the IFA. And, and I'm, I'm really happy. I, I did it, I think three years in a row. And then this year it happened again, and I wasn't even involved in it, which was fantastic. That was my goal when we started it was to, to get it tilted up. And then I, I want it to be an evergreen part of the IFA planning. And the whole, the whole purpose of that was to highlight brands that were doing something really unique or really cutting edge uh, to advance their systems. And it evolved over time into a really featuring cutting edge technology. And I feel like we're in that place where we're starting to see the, re- the realization and, and quite frankly, the oper- operationalization of technology into the four wall and then above the four wall at like the regional level and at the franchisor level. And, you know, so whether you're talking about, um, you know, the introduction of AI into CRM technology and really working to understand how to drive behavior, um, whether you're talking about the introduction of VR, right, in training, 
um, and uh, being able to train over distance um, and yet still have that sort of direct connection. You're starting to see those things come into franchise applications in a meaningful way. And I'm uh, just incredibly excited about what that means. Uh, you know, introduction of ordering AIs, right? I think that's that's on the horizon. Um, you know, I think there's, there's, there's folks that are already doing it. All of those things that make the, the operation at the unit level more efficient, um, I think are just going to continue to help uh, in- industries and brands grow. Yeah, no, it certainly seems like we're, you know, really on the cusp of, as you say, almost an entirely new way that consumers can interact with their favorite brands. And it's a very exciting time to be uh, to be franchising, as you said. So thanks very much again, John, for joining us and uh, looking forward to seeing what's next from Hand and Stone as the year goes on. Yeah, cheers, Karen. Thanks so much. John left us on a very hopeful, exciting note at the end there, with a brand new era of franchise operations just on the horizon. Technology has long been integrated with the likes of F&B or fitness franchises, but it's great to see every kind of brand, including personal care franchises like Hand and Stone, begin to utilise emerging technology in an intuitive way. It was also good to hear John touch on the brand's true north, that being existing franchisee satisfaction and investment. There's truly no better endorsement for your brand than franchisees already in your network wanting to deepen their immersion within the brand. And for brands that manage to achieve this, the sky really is the limit. We'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this. What proportion of your franchise network is formed of existing franchisee investment? And why do you think this is the case? Make sure to let us know. If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts, subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.